What is going on, all you face-off fanatics? And welcome back to the Face-Off Zone podcast, a podcast dedicated solely to the face-off position. I'm your host, John Bodner, and I'll be breaking down and covering all the major face-off storylines of this upcoming NCAA lacrosse season. On this episode, I'm previewing and breaking down the NEC conference. I've also got a very special guest joining me and helping me break it down. Two-time PLL champion, one of the best face-off guys in the world, Joe Nardella. So I'm very excited to hear his thoughts on some of these face-off guys in the NEC conference that he's worked with personally. So stay tuned. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you haven't already, please check out the Face-Off Zone YouTube channel where you can see all the upcoming full-game face-off highlights I plan on showing this season. So let's get this thing going again and let's dive deep into the zone. All right, so we're back at it here. I'm extremely fired up to announce my next guest. He's a two-time PLL champion for the Whipsnakes, PLL All-Star. Certainly, he's making a name for himself in the NLL right now at the top of all the face-off charts. He's the owner of Face-Off Factory. You know, when he's not playing, he's coaching face-off guys all over the country, especially in the New England area, and that's Joe Nardella. Joe, really appreciate you hopping on tonight. I'm excited to talk shop. I hear we got the NEC on deck. Um, I've been, you know, following along the the pod, and I've really enjoyed everything I've heard thus far. And I'm excited to kind of break it down for for all the listeners. Good. I, I appreciate it, man. I'm I'm extremely uh, excited to hear your thoughts on some of these guys. You know, like I said, you've you've been coaching now for a while, and um, you know, some of these some of these pups have now you know turned into some ferocious dogs, and um, They've certainly let's I mean, we have to dive right into we have to dive right into Brian. I know you've known these two guys. They were, you know, the two freshmen last year for a while. And real quick, before we get into them, I just kind of wanted to go over Brian's uh, two guys and kind of talk about Brian real quick. Yeah, they'll be our first team we talk about here in our NAC breakdown. Bryant, great season last year. They were nine and four. They were five and two in the NEC. Uh, they were 58% at, you know, facing off as a team last year. Number 20, 19, you know, that 19, 20 spot right now in the preseason polls. And, you know, they had a great year last year. They, they, they upset St. Joe's to win the NEC last year. Uh, made it to the NCAA tournament. I played UVA in the first round. Everybody thought, you know, UVA was going to roll them, but I mean, at watching that game, that was a really exciting game. They lost 13-11 to UVA, but I, I thought really they, at, at different points, I thought they were going to win that game. And it certainly started, a big reason of that was because of uh, Jacob Alexander, their, their, their freshman faceoff guy. I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I almost feel like the way those two, I mean, the way Nathan La Liberty started out the season and then he got hurt and it kind of gave Jacob Alexander to show his stuff out there. It, it almost kind of worked. I, you know, obviously I, I hate to see Nathan La Liberty get hurt, but I mean, it was just an incredible way to kind of see how special of a duo Bryant really had last year. Let's talk about Nathan La Liberty first, because he was, he kind of started out the season as the starter. He was the number one, uh, was red hot to say the least in his first four games he played in he played in eight of the 13 games he ended up taking 137 face-offs he won 82 of them he was 60 percent on the season 
scored two goals, one against Tommy Burke in Vermont, which was a really sick goal. It, it was probably Tommy Burke's second hardest game he had last year. I mean, you know, La Liberty ended up being 15 to 27 against Burke in Vermont that day with a goal. And then he ended up, you know, he mopped Merrimack, mopped Stony Brook, and then he beat up Hobart 16 to 24. And then he kind of got hurt. And uh, I don't really know what the injury entire. I mean, we could talk about the injury in a second here, but La Liberty, I, I remember hearing about him in high school a little bit, very high ranked recruit on all the fancy NLF recruits and, and inside the cross rankings and all that. Um, he was one of the premier 2020 face-off guys, I guess, throughout, throughout high school. And, you know, saw him down at the Under Armour games. He's very impressive. And he ended up getting hurt. And we'll talk about Jacob Alexander in a second. But, I mean, he Nathan La Liberty, I, everything I saw last year was just so – I he was a human highlight reel those first couple games. I mean, he was really good. What, do you, what can you tell me about him, Joe? How long have you known him? Walk me through your relationship with Nathan La Liberty. Yeah, and before we start, you know, he was 60% with, I think, his lone kind of bad game against Zach Cole. Um, I mean, if you take that game out of his stat sheet, he's probably close to a 70% guy. That was and, – and, and, and Alexander struggled mightily in that game as well. But, yeah, you're, you're absolutely yeah. – Right. So, you know, I met Nathan when I started working with the New Hampshire Tomahawks and Chris Cameron probably, you know, five or six years ago when I really first started coaching at Harvard and started face-off factory. And he was always that kid who's just like a face-off rat, you know, like yeah. always asking for extra reps, always staying after you know, he could be behind the net with a foot of room before we started, always taking face-offs, going live, pushing the limits of what was allowed and uh, and how much time he got. And, like, when I first worked with him, what I noticed is he, you know, even at a young age, he was big and strong. He's a man amongst boys. Yeah. And he's got really, like, you know, you ever grab somebody's hand and you shake their hand and they just got, like, a paw? Just that he's one of those types yeah. of kids with just yeah. strong hands. Like, Tommy Kelly is a guy yeah. like that, too. The first time you shake his hand, you're like, holy shit. Um, but what I noticed quickly about him is he's so fast too. And he doesn't go early a lot. He's just really disciplined to the whistle, really good at zoning out and focusing. And he was just, you know, great on his first move, but he bullied everybody when they I got, he's got a up. hockey background, Joe. I, I know, I, you know, it's <laughs> in his bio, he's got a hockey background. So I feel like that definitely, um, goes into his game too yeah for sure and you see that a lot with some of these stronger face-off guys stockier guys they have really slick stick skills and pick up the ball well even in tight spaces and i find routinely find that um with the crossover athletes from hockey yeah so i mean what 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 grade was he when he i, I had Corey bulkin on my last episode and he did mention we were talking we briefly talked about bryant and he said that while he was at ohio state they were they they were after him and uh, and he still chose he still cho he ended up choosing Bryant, but he certainly had, like you said, a lot of a lot of different schools after him. So, no doubt. Uh, I think that's certainly a testament to that head coach over there. Heard he, I, I always hear nothing but good things about that guy, but it, it's certainly impressive how they they keep getting all these great these great players. And he's not a Boston kid, right? La Liberty. He's, he's from no, so he, he's from New Hampshire. Yeah. Auburn, New Hampshire, right? Pinkerton Academy legend, I guess. He is. And, you know, some, what I find with a lot of these New Hampshire kids is they're tough, right? Yeah. They grow up. It's not like Boston where you're in the city. It's not as affluent. It's a little mm -hmm. bit more rugged. And yeah. I really like that in, in, in face-off guys. He did get hurt 
You know, he, yeah. he, he missed a couple weeks in the middle of the season. And then he had his, I guess, a, his, his big, his big time injury kind of after that St. Joe's game. Um, you know, I know he, he, he kind of struggled both, both, both of them kind of struggled with Zach that game. And then he only took six faceoffs the following game against like Sacred Heart or something. Yeah. And then he got hurt. I, I, you know, I was chatting with him not too long ago. It sounded like he might be ready by the, you know, by the time the season starts, it's getting a little closer. What do you, do you think he'll be back by the beginning of the season? Yeah. I mean, I could see him playing game, game one. I know they're not trying to push him whatsoever because they do have the luxury of having Jacob. So I would probably project seeing him, you know, in weeks three or four. Um, yeah. where he gets some of that scrimmage experience and practice. They continue to ramp up his volume. But, you know, coming back from a, an injury, like a contact ACL, where it's really nothing you did, you just get put yeah. in the wrong position. I think they want to be extremely careful with him. He's got three years left of eligibility. As we're kind of alluding to, he's a budding superstar in that conference. Yeah, no doubt. Nathan LaLiberty, I, I mean, that – so that was their first freshman faceoff guy. This next guy I had never heard of at all until until he went in uh, again. Yeah, he had a monster game, whichever game it was. I know he had thirty faceoff wins against LIU. That that was third all time. But but let's talk about Ocho. Let's. I love that the team calls him Ocho. It's great. <laughs> let's talk about Jacob Alexander. So he's another one, you know, he's a 2019, he benefited from that COVID canceled season. So he's a red shirt freshman technically. Um, And he had a lot of success in high school. He's one of the two all Americans from Massachusetts, him and another student of ours who, you know, Craig, Yanoni. they were kind of like Jacob was the best kid kind of South of the city. Craig was the best kid North of the city for uh, the public schools and Catholic conferences. He's from Franklin mass, which is kind of near Foxborough. And it's a smaller school. It's not, it's not as uh, you know, renowned as some of these ISLs or private schools that play, um, and you see a lot of kids get recruited from, but he's just a really tough, hard-nosed kid who never complains. And the first time I worked with him, like he was, you know, exclusively speed moves and always was trying to be first one to the whistle. And I think there's a testament about people who try to push the limits with anticipation. They're getting practice at doing that all the time. And I think he's really mastered that speed game by always trying to be the first one to the ball. And then you fast forward a couple of years as he gets into college, he gets in the Bryant strength program. You know, he's turned into a little monster and, we talked about it earlier. He has a similar build to someone like Petey Lasala, who's short, but super stocky, really quick, really explosive with all his movements. And he's very athletic and fast in the open field. So he's another guy you have to watch out for in transition. Yeah. I mean, when, when La Liberty did go down, you know, he was so much fun to watch La Liberty. And I remember I, I didn't see the first game live, but I was looking through the box scores and I see Jacob Alexander with like just just a monster game. I, I think it was against uh, Stony Brook or somebody. But I was like, what? And then I saw it said freshman. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like who is, <laughs> now who is this guy? And I kept my eye on it. And then, I, you know, he he <laughs> he just kept getting better and better. He kept getting more opportunities and he and he just kept getting better and better and better by the game. And let's talk about Alexander. I mean, so he, he took 221 faceoffs. He won 128 of them. 75 ground balls. He had six goals and three assists. He had that ridiculous, 
I remember that ridiculous Canadian. Like you said earlier, the only game he did struggle mightily in was that one game against St. Joe's back in on April 17th. He was 0 for 10. He was 0 right. for 10 against Zach Cole on April 17th. Fast forward to May 8th in the NEC championship game. Uh, Alexander was 17 of 30 for about 57% with a goal and two assists. Uh, <laughs> right. so, I mean, talk about a Jekyll and Hyde type situation. Um, Zach absolutely destroyed Bryant back in on April 17th. And then, and then, but then Alexander kind of got the revenge in the championship game. So I'm, you know, obviously I have that, that Matt, you know, I have that St. Joe's <laughs> this year. It's going to be, it's going to be legendary. And I know Zach, I know you've gotten to know Zach really well this past year. So we'll talk about him in a little bit, but you know, what, what are your, yeah, he does have that PD LaSalle kind of build to him. Let's talk about that Virginia game. What he did against Zach Cole in the NEC championship game was certainly very impressive. Not a lot of people thought Bryant was going to, what, what were your thoughts on what, you know, what was your thoughts on Jacob Alexander going into that, going into that Virginia game? You know, as you probably do, a lot of our college guys will reach out before the games and like, you know, ask for what might be a pep talk or have a question or two. And they're really looking for some added confidence. And what I responded to him when he reached out about the matchup is I'm like, what confidence do you need? You just avenged your biggest loss showing how much progress you've made this season. Like, you know, that's a tough thing to do as a faceoff guys to get through that mental block of like someone who beat the shit out of you and then come back and smack them right back in the next matchup. I was like, dude, you're ready to rock, go out there, do your thing trust yourself, be ready, be quick on the whistle and don't second guess anything. And he went in and kind of took it to LaSalle from the start. And I don't think, you know, PD expected to get that much of a battle from him as Virginia didn't from Bryant in general. And I think what we saw in that game is even guys from some of these lesser known conferences all can compete with the top dogs in the ACC at the faceoff dot. And I think it's who's feeling their best on that day and who's riding the momentum and the consistency that you put in through practice for the, for the whole year. And Jacob is someone who works extremely hard and I told him to just trust his, trust himself. And he certainly did. And, you know, when your team's playing like that with a lot of confidence, it's easy to feel like you got it going on. Yeah, I mean, no doubt, man. I mean, the numbers don't lie. I mean, he was 16 to 27. He was 60% that day. I mean, you know, and he won. I, I I didn't really go back to see how many he, the first couple he won in a row. But, I mean, he was, he was winning them clean. It wasn't just like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like his 16 wins were just like scrums and he ended up, I mean, he was, he was really taking it to him a couple times there. It, they, you know, Virginia got out by the, by the skin of their teeth. You know, they ended up winning the whole thing, but that was a game that was uh, that was an exciting game, and I think that certainly put Jacob Alexander on the. And he's a guy that I, I know I'm certainly looking forward to watching again this year. I know he's been doing nothing but you know working out, training. How did how did how did he look? Did you see him at all this uh, you know over Christmas break at all? Yeah, Christmas break. He was like you know over Christmas. We're lucky. We have a ton of colleges in the New England area. We probably get fifty or sixty guys coming weekly to our session and 20 to 25 of them are, are college kids. And he was top one, two, I three, four, or five on the post and everything. Almost every time. Play. Yeah. I like so that. He's wildly consistent. He does a great job adapting to his opponents. And I think 
when you have that confidence in yourself to be quick, like you're just at such an advantage. And that's something he does better than a lot of people. Does he play box up there at all? Or like, he kind of feel, I, I feel like he's the way he plays. He kind of like, looks like he plays box, you know, does he do anything? I feel like new England has such a hockey, like crossover within its yeah. lacrosse base of kids that a lot more of them, all these clubs are doing an awesome job of sprinkling in box to yeah. all their winter training and the kids eat it up. Yeah. You know, he's, he's special, man. I mean, they, uh, you know, like I said, other than that Zach Cole game on on April 17th, he kind of, he was, a, he was a, like two or three under 50% against Hobart. One game, he was only 45%. But other than that, I mean, he was lights out. And he's he's going to be must, uh, Bryant, the Bryant duo is going to be must watch TV. I, I really feel like they can compete with anybody. I'm looking at their schedule right now. I forgot to write it down. So I was looking it up as you were talking and I don't know. I wish they were playing a little bit stronger of an out-of-conference schedule. I mean, they really only have Providence, Boston U, Dartmouth, Bellarmine. They play in Tommy Burke and Vermont again. That'll be a good one. But other than that, that's an Air Force, you know, and then they get into the NEC play. So I don't know. I, I you know, I would have lo- I would have loved to see those two guys try to play a couple more ACC or Big Tens, but I don't know. You know, maybe uh, I, I if I'm a team, I probably wouldn't want to play Bryant this year anyway. I mean, I, I know they I wouldn't been, either. So I, I would have been nice to see your alma mater have the courage to play them this year. Maybe Rutgers. That would have been a good one. Yeah. That would have been a good one. I find that a lot of teams don't like scheduling Bryant midweek yeah. and that they, they seek out those matchups. I know when we were at Harvard, that was not a game that worked out in our favor really ever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the Bryant duo, I, I think now that Notre Dame, that duo has gone, got the UNC duo, but I think the Bryant duo, they're going to be a problem these next couple of years. And I just, I feel like they're just going to keep getting better and better and better and better. And I can't wait to see by the time they're seniors, uh, they're going to look like, I mean, it's terrifying to think they still have three more years. I know it's, it's pretty wild. The, the other sneaky duo I think that might transpire is um, Blanc- Blanchard from Hobart transferred to Ohio State. If him and yeah, Anasio, I've been following them. I got, yeah, I've been following those scrimmages. Uh, I know Anasio has been taking uh, a lot of them, but yeah, Blanchard's I would think that in. too. Blanchard's getting in. That'll be interesting. Uh, I think also the Maryland duo. You have Gavin Ty and Luke Winter. Yeah, Gavin Ty transferred in from Virginia. Uh, he's certainly legit and. I think Maryland's a team that might, you know, may or may not have a two-headed monster this year. You know, I think a lot of teams should have to, you know, I was saying, I've been saying it. You know, I don't think one guy should be taking five, 600 face-offs a season. I just, it's you know, unless, not you're, unless you're LaSalle or Anasio, who for some reason their bodies can hold on to that. Like, I just don't think it's smart. Let's talk about St. Joe's. Like I said, Zach Cole's a guy you've gotten to know. He, he uh, you guys sponsored him at the Faceoff Factory this this past off season, and uh, he certainly made a name for himself at St. Joe's, to say the least. Uh, just real quick, I can kind of go over some of um, Zach Cole's stats here. He currently owns the all-time career Faceoff wins record at 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 St. Joe's with 490. He owns the all-time single-season uh, ground ball record. He pretty much any any rec- Faceoff record at St. Joe's, Zach Cole owns it. He's a preseason third-team All-American. He earned third-team All-American at the end of last season. I certainly think he, uh, if he doesn't go back and, and take his COVID year, I think he could certainly be a PLL face-off prospect. Yeah. He's had to go uh, be draft eligible. I mean, he's primed for a, you know another monster season. Tell me your thoughts on Zach Cole. 
Yeah, you know, how I would compare him to, like, a lot of other face-off guys, if you look at, like, NFL running backs, you know, most of them are, like, 5'10", 5'11", they're quick, they're stocky, and then there's, like, Adrian Peterson, who's 6'2", elusive, um, super light on his feet, and really quick and agile, and I think Zach Cole's kind of like that, right? He's He's got some size on a lot of his opponents, he still moves really well and he has like a rare finesse about him, like with his exits, with his ball control, with his decision making, with his transition play. I think he does so many things well outside of just like excelling at clamping the ball. And the one thing that impresses me the most is like, God, he had the target on his back all year last year. Always. Kind of like years a- now like a Trevor Baptiste where you go into every game knowing like every team is just going to try to beat the shit out of you and throw everything they got at you triple poles, you know, the whole deal. And like, how do you keep changing your strategy? How do you keep it fresh? So you're unscoutable. And I think he's done a really good job of staying ahead of his opponents with this planning and like how his team plays the faceoffs. And, you know, and he doesn't, he doesn't get many breaks either. I mean, he takes a lot, a lot of faceoffs. He, you know, yeah, he, like you said, I mean, he's built like a football player. I mean, he was a heck of a football player back in his day at Lenape High School in, in South Jersey. Um, he's a kid who kind of like a, like a Tom Brady type story. I mean, he wasn't very heavily recruited in high school, and that really pissed him off. Uh, some bench player on Lenape who would throw him a pole, and he would throw his faceoff stick onto the sideline, grab the pole, and go play, go play long stick because they needed him. So um, he, he's – an athletic specimen you know St. Joe's they had a great year last year you know they, yeah, they, did awesome get upset. they did get upset by Brian in the NAC championship but they were 8-0 you know going into that in the NAC conference last year um they did lose to Brian 16 to 10 but the crazy part was they they destroyed Brian at the face-off X and in general they beat Brian 13 to 5 in the regular season so it was just like a tale of two different you know two different games uh, in the first game Zach Cole versus uh, Jacob Alexander Zach Cole was 20 for 22 with 13 ground balls and a goal and that wasn't just against <laughs> Alexander but Liberty played in that game as well yeah, but uh, yeah Cole was, uh, I mean uh, <clears throat> Alexander was 0 for 10 by Liberty clearly he only won two faceoffs. so uh, yeah he was two for 12 by Liberty so then you go into the second game the championship Alexander t- took them all and he was 17 of 30. Uh, do you remember that game? Did you watch any of the? Uh- I do. I mean, it was a lot of faceoffs, a lot of back and forth. I don't think Zach necessarily played bad. I think like Brian outplayed them on the wings and I think they just wanted it a little more. You know, and, and he, uh, Alexander also had in that championship game a goal and two assists. So, like, anytime you see like, you just have those stuck in your head. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you get scored on or if you have a couple assists off the face off, they just, just kind of seems like you got beaten even worse, but really, I mean, the numbers were no, were nowhere near as bad as I remember it either. When I, when I kind of went back and, and looked at the numbers. So you're right. You know, I, I still think he's the guy to beat in the conference. I think, um, I'm curious to see that first game, you know, when they play uh, and they'll probably play again in the NEC tournament at some point, but I can't wait to kind of see what, how that first game's going to go. I mean, other than Bryant, he didn't really, he, you know, he battled the Hobart guys a little bit, but he kind of took care of everybody else. So I, I think if Zach, like I said, you think Zach, would be, you think Zach has the makings to be a good PLL faceoff guy? 
I do. And I don't say it a lot because I think it's going to be becoming more and more rare that these college kids come out, especially with the rule differences and thrive. But, you know, if you look back at 2019, I think we're talking about a kid who was 75% in his last yeah, season knee, on a knee. Right. So that's something I look at. And I also just think he has like the physical making to compete with the, the big dogs in the PLL because like, you know, I'm 5'10", 205, 210-ish. And I'm like average size, very average size compared to some of these guys throwing their weight around. I don't want to get too off topic here, but how yeah, you bring up a good point about going back down to knee down. How many more years do you think until the league is back up off of me and, and we're, you know, and, and everybody's standing because eventually as you know, some of these knee down guys in the league get older. Right. I mean, I just feel like it's eventually it's going to have to go back to standing. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I don't know if the league's going to say mandate. I don't think they'll make them. I just think it'll be like, I think it's I think it's going to happen naturally. You know, I've coached a lot of stand up and I was finding more success standing than on my knee in the playoffs. Right. Like a couple bad bounces in the championship game that I could have easily been 60 percent with the stand up that I used in the last game of the regular season. And throughout the playoffs, I could have been 60. I probably was around, you know, 60, 65 percent on my feet. I think with the ball placement up high, it's going to continue to get harder to clamp from a knee as guys are getting better and better on their feet. Yeah, I I agree. Well, I'll, you know, I'll kind of leave it there with Zach Cole. I mean, as you know, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be the option. He's he's kind of in a similar situation as Gerard Arceri at Penn State was, Justin Anasio. I mean, you know, he's going to take an ungodly amount of faceoffs this year. Yeah, as long as he's healthy. I hope they have. I you know, I it would be nice for one of their back kind of come in and and take a couple of games just to you know so he doesn't burn out by the end. I, I know Zach Cole wants nothing more. Than the then every face of St. Joe's to the NCAA tournament, which he hasn't been able, you know, St. Joe's has not been able to do that yet. Um, so I, I really hope they kind of keep him almost on a count early, early this season so that God forbid, you know, he just, you know, just keep his body fresh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And if they're as explosive as they were on offense a year ago, you know, you're looking at 30 faceoffs a game. Like you got to find a way to reduce his workload by 10, 20% by throwing somebody in there for three to six, especially in these games where they're pouring it on and lighting teams up. Um, But, you know, leaving off with Zach, I think the last thing I'll say is, He's a 65 plus percent career guy, right? And it's like, that's some serious sustained success. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm looking at their schedule. They got Delaware and um, and State, Mammoth, uh, Drexel. So they got a couple good tests here before they get into the NEC, the NEC play. So we'll see what happens. Yes. Uh, we're going to take a short little break here, but then coming right up, uh, Joe, you going to stick around a little bit? Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk uh, a couple of these other guys you coach. All right. So we're back at it here. My guest is Joe Nardella. We're breaking down the NEC conference. Next team up here is LIU. LIU, five and three in the conference last year. They were six and four overall. 
They were 47% on the season facing off. Not too bad. Uh, they lost to St. Joe's only by one last year. They lost 13 to 14-13 uh, on April 24th. Wasn't bad. Um, Bryant, they only lost by three. They lost 20 to 17 in one regular season game. So, you know, they played a couple of these teams pretty close, but you know, again, I, you know, they're, they're, I, I don't know much about LIU. I don't know who they really, they're really bringing back. So we'll see how they do. I, I let's talk face off guys here. I know, you know, one of these guys, we'll start with junior Emerson Tyler. Don't know much about him. I, you and I were saying he was from New Hampshire he was 70 of uh, – he took 131 face-offs last year. He won 70 of them, so he was about 53% on the season. 33 ground balls, not bad for a junior. I think – no, he's a junior this year, I believe. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what can you tell me about Emerson Tyler? So, you know, I was just saying, he's <clears throat> someone who picked up face-offs late his junior year. You know, Coach Wolf took the job at LIU, was looking to add depth at the position. And he's someone who's just re relentless. Like, he's driving two hours from northern New Hampshire to come down to Massachusetts and work with us twice a week. And I saw him get so much better. And I noticed, like, he's got the hand speed and the strength to compete at this level. So he's someone, you know, he gets a, a healthy dose of good competition over winter break and in the summers with us up in New England. And I think he's poised for a breakout campaign. And watching a lot of his film from a year ago, I think he clamps the ball really well. I think there's a few things that he needed to tighten up that he really honed in on. And I'm looking forward to him having a, a pretty big season here. I think he's a guy who's like, deceptively scrappy but has really quick hands and can can be a threat going forward um and i know they got justin joseph as well who's worked with you i've seen some film of him um just in working with the liu guys and he's a strong powerful clamp guy who i think could also have success in this conference if they they position the wings the right way and they they really play to his strengths, letting let him pop the ball to space and have some of their more athletic guys go get it. But LIU does return, you know, one of the top goalies in the country as well as one of the top offensive players. So I do think they're a, a sneaky under the radar team that's continuing to get better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Justin Joseph only took eight faceoffs last year. He he uh, transferred in from Lycoming, a Division three school. I think he was still trying to get his feet under the whole, you know, D1 grind. And, you know, he's done nothing but. They may be a team who's just thinking a little outside the box in terms of their wing play and their strategy. And if I'm playing them and they're on the schedule, like I'd be ready to see the kitchen sink. When we're talking NEC, we kind of have to compare some of these other teams to Bryant and St. Joe's. And, you know, first Bryant, they were 11 of 41 against St. Joe's. They played them twice. They were seven of 29 in the first game and 10 of 34 in the second game. So, Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. So nowhere to go, but up there, but they are playing, um, looking at their schedule, they got a pretty decent out of conference schedule before they get into NEC play. They actually, I believe play Rutgers this weekend. They do. They do. They open with Rutgers. I'm excited for that one. Um, I'm excited to see Rutgers too. I, because, you know, as you know, they have that new transfer in from Mount St. Mary's and they have Jonathan Dugenio who, transferred in from St. John's as a, as a uh, sophomore last year. And I put together a pretty nice season. I thought. Yeah. I thought he did a great job despite uh, playing some stiff competition. They have a freshman, another New Hampshire kid, freshman coming from us, Luke Romanek. I think he's been neck and neck with uh, Mark Steven from Mount St. Mary in the Henio. So that should be an interesting, interesting uh, evolution this weekend as we see who really takes the field and who's going to get, 
the game reps on both sides for LIU. It looks like you got three guys you could really go with. Same with Rutgers. So we'll see what both teams come out with and <laughs> how the season starts out. I remember talking about that freshman at Rutgers in my Big Ten breakdown. And I was reading his bio and it said he was like 97% his senior year. I was like, that can't be right. 97, <laughs> 96 or 97%. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But I don't, again, I don't know what the competition level was up at New Hampshire, but still, I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, so I he's, think he's the real deal. got um, cut short. He's, he's good, though. He's really good. Yeah. He was an Under Armour All New England kid. He's actually someone who worked with Nathan Liberty a lot. Those yeah, two guys okay. get after it together. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Rutgers <laughs> was LIU this weekend. That's going to be a good one. They play Quinnipiac, and you know the Quinnipiac kid pretty well. Uh, he's certainly very yep. good. Uh, then they got Hofstra, Drexel, UMass. So, all teams with really good faceoff guys. Before <laughs> They have a really tough out-of-conference schedule. Really it's like we, funny. We talk about Brian, and we're like, It would be nice for Brian to kind of get these kind of – you know, out of conference games. Obviously. Absolutely. So credit to Coach Wolf testing these guys. It should be interesting to see how their face-off group handles it, who kind of takes the the lead role there and what we see transpire between that team. Because, you know, when you have a couple options to start the year, it's almost going to be like a trial and error thing. And I find a lot of teams do this when they don't know who the guy is because, you know, scrimmages are scrimmages. When you get when the lights come on and you're playing a real game, things tend to be a little different. People tense up. So I'm excited to see who kind of takes the lead role there. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, let's, let's kind of move on, you know, LIU let's, we'll certainly keep an eye on them this upcoming season, especially starting this weekend. You'll be, I guarantee you'll be seeing those highlights up on the channel this weekend at some, at some point, the uh, LIU Rutgers game, but let's talk about Mount St. Mary's Mount St. Mary's. They lost their, you know, four-year starter, Sam Steven, to, to Rutgers. Sam Steven. He, he transferred back to Jersey where he's from, and he's loving life down there from what I from what I uh, see on Snapchat. Um, <laughs> definitely a different world going, going to New Brunswick than, you know, down in the, you know, down in the sticks of, uh, of Maryland. Um, that's a whole nother story. But uh, anyway, so they lost Sam Steven, grabbed the kid from the transfer portal from Canisius last season, Connor Beals. Uh, who's a sophomore? This, this he was a freshman, I guess, on the on on Canisius last year. Took 228 faceoffs. Beals did for for Canisius last year. Won 53%. Um, I do remember watching a couple of his games last year. Is he a guy that you know at all? Do you know Connor Beals? No, I do not. But and I haven't watched a ton of Canisius film, um, so you caught me on one. But yeah, I, you know, 53%. Crazy long hair. Um, Put together a couple of nice games for Canisius last year. I mean, he was he was good. So I think, you know, he, you know, he transferred in. So and they also have another faceoff guy on the roster, Cooper Leonard from North Carolina. Only played in two games last year. I talked. I I've, I think I've talked with Peyton Smith about him before. Peyton Smith has talked about him before. He works with a bunch of guys down in North Carolina, and you know, he always has nothing but. Uh, good things to say about him. We'll see. I'm sure he'll get some opportunities this year. But Mount St. Mary's is another team with a pretty solid out-of-conference schedule. They're playing Navy, Delaware, Towson, and Georgetown. Right. So, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't know why some of these teams have such good out-of-conference schedules. And then you look at Brian and Brian and St. Joe's, and it's like, eh. Yeah, who do they really got? And I don't think there's any harm in challenging your team like that, right? And we're talking NEC, realistically, like, 
the only way to ever get an at-large bid out of that conference is going to be to play a tough out-of-season right. or out-of-conference schedule. That's it. Yeah, I mean, in Mount St. Mary's, they, they always have some sneaky, like, kind of big upsets. I mean, they, did, they beat Delaware in the first game of the season last year, which was a huge win. And then they lost eight straight after that. <laughs> yeah. But the year before that, I remember they played Hopkins in a close game. So, you know, you never you can't ever count out the Mount. So, you know, anything you got anything else on Mount St. Mary's? No, I'm excited to see him go at it with some of these guys, though. I remember when I was younger in high school, they made the NCAA tournament. They had one of the leading goal scorers in the country, and they were a fun team to watch. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe the Mount will reload this year. We'll uh, keep an eye on them. Let's talk about Hobart. Hobart, they were 6-2 and two in the conference last year, 6-3 and three overall. Ended up losing to Bryant in the NEC championship game. We talked a little bit about their faceoff guy who's now at Ohio State, uh, Drew Blanchard. Yeah, what do you know about Drew Blanchard, you know, who's, who's now at Ohio State? We'll talk about him in a second, but what, what, what can you tell me about Drew Blanchard? Blanchard's another one, extremely fast hands, but he's just like such a savvy ground ball guy, and he's a – a multi-sport athlete in high school. He's one of those guys who, like, he's like, I don't want to be a face-out guy. I want to play midfield in college. And I think he probably would have gotten more highly recruited had he, you know, really just dedicated the, his time to facing off earlier on. But similar to me in that sense where I told coaches that I didn't want to go there if they wanted me to be a, just a FOGO, um, he's someone who's thrived at it at the next level. And I think his counterpart from a year ago, Adam Shea, is also a really good face-up guy. And yeah, I've seen him play. He's quick. He's had some great games in that NEC conference. Hobart had an awesome team face-off percentage, so it wasn't just Blanchard. Like, Shea did an awesome job a year ago, too, and I look forward to seeing him take, like, the lead role and yeah. what Hobart's going to look like with him being the primary versus someone he might be splitting reps with. Because, you know, like, yeah, some of these duo situations work out, like, Bryant where these two happen to be really close and they're boys but other ones like you know one guy's looking over his shoulder wondering if he loses one face off is, is he that, getting the yeah 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 Shea started out as the as the starter at the beginning of the season yeah and he was in the top 10 <laughs> face off percentage for a while and I struggled a game or two and <clears throat> Blanchard just got a couple opportunities and then seemed like he kept getting more and more and then he was the flat. I don't know if I don't know for sure if if uh, if Adam Shea got hurt or not. But yeah, Blanchard. I mean, he earned it. I mean, he he kept getting better and better. And then he, you know, he kind of saved his best games for the end of the season. And you know, I went back and watched that Bryant game in the uh, NEC tournament, and he was fifteen to twenty five. Blanchard was had a had a great battle with Alexander that day. I mean, they both should have had a couple goals in that game. Uh, he was Blanchard ended up a game or two before that, when he played St. Joe's, he was 13 of 23 against Zach Cole. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, it's really good. Game. I don't care what, you know, I mean, he, he did really well. Yeah. He would, he took 110, he took 110 faceoffs. He won 72 of them. So it was 65% on the season. He played for all four years at Hobart. And now he took that COVID year and he, and he's, uh, he's in the big 10 now he's playing for, for Ohio State. So I'm, I'm very excited to see him, you know, in a Big Ten uniform now. I can't wait to see it. I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to, you know, kind of prove himself. Yeah. So they have, as far as Hobart this upcoming season, you know, Adam Shea, he took 
128 face-offs last year. He won 81 of them. He was, uh, this is about 63% on the season. I think we're going to see a heavy dose of Adam Shea this year. Like you said, they have uh, two other guys on the roster. Ryan Dixon, he's a Philly guy. Bigger guy, he's 6'3", 210. Uh, Good basketball player back in his day. I mean, I think you throw him in. He's a totally different kind of style of play than than Adam Shea, who's a freshman this upcoming season. So, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, if I'm a betting man, I think we'll see Shea coming right out of the gate. But Hobart's a team that another great out of conference. Listen to this out of conference schedule. They got Yale, Fairfield, Lehigh, <laughs> Cornell, Colgate, and Syracuse. Right, like that's awesome. That awesome, awesome teams. But then you look at it from a faceoff standpoint, and it's like, man, every one of these teams has like a guy or multiple guys that are really good yeah i mean what i'm interested to see from adam shea is if he can take the next step to be from being like that speed guy to competing with a lot of these power guys like the sisselbergers and zach Cole and the bryant guys and i think if he can if he can neutralize some of those matchups and go right around 50 50 when he gets his games where he's got the the clear upper hand well we could see him in the 65 percent range definitely yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see it too. Shea's always been good, even from high school. He he was skinny back then, but he I remember he came to like our fall championship event and won the whole thing. And I was like, who the hell is this kid? See how Hobart does. You know, my old man went to Hobart, so I, you know I'm always following the statesman. So yeah, uh, I'll be uh, I'll be certainly watching. So let's finish off a couple of the, with a couple of these other teams here. Let's talk Wagner. They were, uh, you know, Wagner's a team with nowhere to go but up. They were one and nine last season, 38% facing off as a team. They got two guys from Philly who I, you know, I'm big fans of. They uh, Matt Reuter, a junior. Uh, he was 45 of 109 last, last season with 15 ground balls. Um, I think, you know, Reuter... <laughs> Ruder kind of was one of those like really good knee down. Both these guys actually were really yeah. down guys that I feel like have just taken a little bit longer to kind of adjust to the new rules, you know, develop a little bit stronger stick skills. I think having last season was a huge kind of uh, learning experience for them. Uh, they got Ruder, who's a junior this upcoming season, and then they have Bobby Blewett, a sophomore from the Haverford School in Philly. Yeah, um, I like his game. Yeah, he's I called him the disruptor. I mean, he. <laughs> You know, if he, if he doesn't beat you on the clamp, I mean, he's got a whole arsenal of ways that, you know, to, to disrupt you. He's a good athlete. I mean, he's, a, you know, he's swimming right now for the Wagner team. I mean, he's, wow. yeah, he, um, you know, he was such a good knee down guy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's, he's battled some injuries through the years. And um, he's not a guy that's, you know, ready to throw in the towel by any means. I mean, he's just hungrier and he just keeps getting hungrier and hungrier. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching, watching those guys. They have Ryan Wepley as well on the roster who took 47 faceoffs last year. It says he was 10 of 13 against St. Joe's last year. So that's kind of his claim to fame. That's very impressive. Uh, that is. I don't remember that at all, but no. to Ryan Wepley, we'll see what uh, we'll see what he could do this year. We'd have to double check and fact check that on yeah. the St. Joe's Maybe. site, see if they pulled Zach. Maybe. But, you know, they're playing Fairfield, they're playing Monmouth, they're playing Mercer. I love the Mercer kid, Ashton Wood. Did you see the highlights? I like Wood. Oh, he's a stuff. I thought he was good a year ago. He was he was pretty up there in percentage for a bit. He was. He was. He's the guy's a. You want to talk menace? I mean, he's. 
he's got speed. He's strong. Uh, you know, I think if you if you took that Mercer jersey off him and uh, ACC or a Big Ten one on, I don't think he'd skip a beat. You know, like I think he, I think he'd still be pretty successful. It's wild that some of these smaller schools find great guys too. Just diamonds in the rough, kids with the right attitude. I think we got one more team to talk about here. Let's get into. Oh no, we got two. Uh, let's talk Merrimack. Merrimack. Uh, five oh, I like this one. Here. Four and four in the conference. Forty-five uh, percent of facing off last season. Only lost by one to Bryan on March twenty-seventh. Actually, that was. They were twelve of twenty that game against Bryan. Believe it or not, um, that was kind of Merrimack. One of Merrimack's best games facing off. Uh, they had a kid from Wisconsin, a freshman last season, Carl Sutter, facing off for them. Um, again, he was one over fifty percent against Bryant, six of twelve against Hobart. So I don't, I don't remember that Merrimack too much last season. Um, they, yeah, I mean Carl Sutter, he took one hundred and thirty-two faceoffs, won seventy of them. I mean that's pretty good for a freshman. So I mean that all the Merrimack kids, they're relatively close to Boston too. They all come to our trainings and they had, you know, their starter, Alan French, who had a pretty good freshman year. He, he might've been the one who played in that Bryant game. I don't know if it has Sutter down there or not um, as you're looking at the stats, but Alan French, you know, started as a true freshman. He was a football kid in high school, really strong, stocky build. Um, and he's gotten quicker and much better technique wise. He's cleared from his ACL, him and Nathan did them about a week apart and they've kind of been doing their reps during our sessions, like off to the side together um, and kind of just on the rehab train. Did he play last season? I I, I looked. I I think he did. Maybe he got hurt in the first or second game, um, but he's someone to keep your eye on. I think he's strong enough to compete with these big dogs in this concert, in this conference. And I think if he comes back, and he's healthy, he'll be the starter. But Sutter's like kind of a raw, quick, quick hands guy that can disrupt as well. And, you know, it's no surprise. He 70 something for 132 ish. Like, that's pretty good for a freshman, especially yeah, someone from Wisconsin. It's not like right? he's got a lot of things to practice yeah, with. He's a guy with out there. No offense. I mean, they got that stud from Jacksonville, that, that, that mammoth of a of a of a man, um, uh, Nathan Cap. He's from Wisconsin. Yep. Other than that, I don't really know anybody from Wisconsin. Yeah, but those. I mean, you know, those kids out there, the Midwest boys, they recruit football kids from places yeah, like that for a reason. Yeah. Um, so Merrimack, we'll see. I mean, they play Hofstra this weekend. Huge test. You know, they got yep. uh, Brian Herber, and uh, they even you know Chase Patterson. Their backup is no slouch either. So. They got Hofstra this weekend, then they got uh, Boston U, Dartmouth, Holy Cross as out of conference. So we'll see. You know, I, Merrimack, I, I, you know, until they, you know, kind of stick it to St. Joe's or, or, or Bryant this year, I mean, you know. I, yeah, I, what do we got? I, I kind of predict they're going to be in that middle of the pack again this season until I see otherwise. But we'll see. Like you said about Alan French, you know, when he uh, coming off this ACL injury, we'll see. We'll see what he's got. Yeah, and hit, Sutter could be a great guy to keep him on a pitch count if those two can be a little dynamic and throw throw different stuff at teams. You know, maybe they keep some of these teams on their toes a little bit. They got Matt Lucazzi from Massachusetts, a sophomore on the roster. Yeah, he also trains with us as well. He's uh, He's been a longtime student. He's someone who's gotten significantly better even since 
you know, fall and winter break. So I yeah. could see him maybe cracking the lineup and getting some time as well. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, we'll see on Merrimack. Let's get into Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart, another team, nowhere to go, but way up. One yeah. on the season. Oh, and eight, oh, and eight in the conference. 39% facing off last season. Um, they had a, uh, I don't, I didn't even write down what grade he's in, but I believe he's a senior this year. Tristan Dowd. He took 176 face-offs last year, 176 of them. So he's a little under 50, 43%. Um, Connor Callahan, they have on the roster from Texas. Yeah. Texas, 41 of 93, you know, 10 ground balls. Um, not bad. You know, he only played in four games. Dow played in 11 games. But again, you know, the bolt, you know, where they struggled the most was Bryant and St. Joe's. You know, they were 13 of 30 against Bryant and three of three of 18 against Hobart. Uh, I didn't even write down what they were against. I don't know if they even played St. Joe's last year, but that game might have gotten canceled or something. But I don't know much about Sacred Heart. You know anything about that? Yeah, so Callahan, I think, is a little smaller. He's more of like a a speed guy tries to get the ball quickly and get out. I think if he can do a better job getting the ball further out to space, he'll be better off. And I think Dowd's more of like a disruptor. He's Casey Dowd's younger brother who's had pro experience was a standout at Siena. He transferred from Stony Brook. Um, So maybe like what I'm thinking is if those two can take a little bit of each other's stuff, they could be really good. Um, So if Dowd gets a little bit better with his speed and his clamps and his consistency, he might be great, and if Callahan can do a little bit better job of countering some of these guys and taking some stuff he learns from Dowd, you know, I think they could get to 50%. I don't think that's wild, but you got to stop the bleeding in some of those big matchups. Like a three for 18 kills your team percentage. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, it, uh, isn't Tommy Kelly coach the faceoff coach for Sacred Heart this year? Is that Stony Brook? Oh, Stony Brook, okay. So Yes. Yeah, we'll see. I, I I didn't make that connection with Tristan Dowd and and your boy uh, Casey. Casey yeah, um, but yeah, I, I would uh, hopefully he makes. Yeah, hopefully they make that step up this year. They make that jump up and, like you said, get back to fifty percent. Um, so that's all I got. Uh, that's really that's that's all I got on the NEC conference, Joe. I mean, what uh, let's talk real quick about what what games are you excited to watch this year? This this upcoming weekend. Yeah, I think Rutgers LIU will be a really good one. Um, you know, LIU's got some firepower on offense. I would hope that Rutgers can, you know, outshoot them and play a little bit more disciplined on the defensive side of the ball. The faceoff should be really interesting to see. Um, kind of like we talked about who out of the three guys on each of those squads step up and take that lead role. I am excited for Duke Robert Morris. I think Robert Morris features a ton of Canadians and they always give teams a tough time who don't play them a lot. And you see, you know, they, they always have that one or two out of conference games a year where they, they make a run of one of these big teams and Duke's always on upset alert in February. So I can see that shaking out to be an interesting one. Yeah. I'm looking at uh, lacrossebucket.com here. They do a great job kind of posting all the schedules and you got Maryland high point. You got yep. Virginia air force, uh, Ohio State's opening up against Detroit Mercy. I don't, I don't know who Detroit Mercy's guy is this year. I know they lost that that like three or four year starter with the crazy last name that Jab, Jab, Jabrowski or remember you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he was actually solid. 
He was good. Then they got Hopkins, Jacksonville. That'll be good. I, I think. Yeah, I look forward to that one. That could be a good matchup. Penn State, Lafayette. Like you said, Rutgers, LIU, Michigan, Bellarmine. Listen, I heard Michigan went out to, went up to Syracuse last weekend and kind of kind of kind of took it to kind of took it to the orange. Really? Yeah. I can yeah. see Michigan being one of our more improved teams this year. I think they're they're doing a really good job out there. Yeah. Coach but but I, I as a team, I heard Michigan did pretty well. So I'm I'm I can't wait to watch Michigan this year. I think they're going to be really, I think they're going to be like, you know, I'm not saying they're going to be like Maryland good, but you know, they'll be, they're going to be better. Yeah, I'd love to see them be competitive in the big 10 where they get two or three wins. You know, I don't think they've ever been a three win team in conference play. You're probably right. Probably never, but we'll see. I, I do think that Maryland high point game has some excitement behind it. It could be a good one. Yeah. I would imagine Maryland will control the dot though. Well, I mean, they they don't have – I mean, Luke Weirman, you know, he got a lot of time. He got a lot of experience at the end of last – you know, he did get a lot of experience last season. You know, you got Gavin Ty, who's a little untested still. But, yeah. you know, Colin Hoven at high point is pretty legit. Um, you know, they did lose that other senior. But, I, you know, Hoven's no joke. They got a couple other guys. I, I, I would – if I was a betting man, I would predict that Maryland – should have the upper hand at facing off, but yeah, who knows? You never know when the gloves go. You really never know. That's about it. I mean, as far as the games in the first week, uh, you know, hopefully this, this, I know the weather's crazy. I, I really hope that the Duke Vermont game happens on Sunday. What I think that's a great on, what, are your, what are your thoughts on Tommy Burke? Were you able to watch him at all last season? Yeah, I've watched a lot of Tommy Burke. I think he does an awesome job. He's a big body that is great with his exits and his placement. And he's obviously really quick on the whistle. However, I think Niso is going to pose a matchup threat. He's a, he's a totally different style. It's totally complete different. polar opposites, you know, like a big, strong, physical, fast guy versus a low, stocky, super good ground ball guy with also quick hands. I think, you know, just from how they grip the stick, they both face off so differently. So it's going to be a great contrast to kind of see how different styles play out. That's oh, going to be awesome. Yeah. I, I you know, I, you know, I know Vermont, they, they, they want this game real bad. You know, they want, you know, and especially Tommy Burke. I mean, as we all know, I mean, the guy is just, a, you know, the total face-off fanatic. I mean, he just, you know, I, he's very fired up for this game as he should be. So um, that will certainly, I don't, you know, I, I forget what time that game is on Sunday, but that will certainly be must watch. hundred percent. I think that could be your early season matchup of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's going on with you? I know listen, for everybody out there, you can follow Joe on his Instagram. You can you know, follow Face Off Factory on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff as well. Where, where are you playing? You know, he also plays for the Albany Firewolves now, right? Correct. Uh, where are you, where, who are you guys got this weekend? So we have a double header. We play home and home, which means we play at Georgia tomorrow. And then we're all flying Saturday and playing a seven o'clock game. Saturday night in Albany against Georgia again. So we're currently three and two. We've won the last three. This is another weekend, huge opportunity to continue to build momentum. Um, if you guys haven't, make sure you check out Face Off Zone on YouTube. They're doing an awesome job covering our games and showing you guys the differences in, in the box game. And I think despite, you know, a lot of the box guys facing off knee down, what every 
outdoor player can learn from watching some indoor is how to pop the ball and control it in tight space, how to use your, your teammates and to strategize. And I think given that in box, you know, the guys are allowed to release from their restraining line right away. It's a true five on five. So you really got to be careful about where you place that ball. So I think if you watch and you see how teams set up, whether it's three guys on the offensive or defensive end, you'll get a real good feel for tendencies and where guys are trying to pop the ball. I think all that stuff's really interesting to watch. And there's a ton of young talent at the faceoff dot coming into this league. Yeah. Oh, big time. Um, I mean, you know, that, that, Matchup versus Baptiste a couple of weeks ago was awesome. I know you just recently played, you know, battled Withers the other day. So you can certainly stay tuned for more, uh, you know, face-off highlights of the NLL, especially as we get closer to, to playoff time. But yeah, listen, man, I, I really appreciate you hopping on. You and I kind of have known each other now for a little bit. And thanks. And I really appreciate you, you hopping on tonight. Yeah, anytime, man. You want to break down anything else the rest of the season? I'm your guy. Oh, I always love up. talking shop. Keep I'll me posted. It's gonna be Hopefully, a I'll be a repeat customer on the pod. It's going to be a fun season, man. It's going to be a fun right. season. So. so that's going to do it for our NEC breakdown. Again, I want to thank my guest, Joe Nardella, for coming on today. That was a lot of fun. Hope everybody has a great time with opening day tomorrow. A lot of fun lacrosse games on TV, so please make sure you check them out. If you do miss a game, don't you worry. You can catch the full game face-off highlights from all of these games on my YouTube channel. So make sure you check it out next week. Give it a subscribe. You can also follow me on Instagram at fo underscore zone for some fun breakdowns as well. And listen, you know I'll be around all season long talking face-off, so... Until next time, I will see you in the zone.